well, you know, God was, you know, portrayed as a little boy. Kind of reminds you of a bratty version of Anakin Skywalker in the prequel. <laughs> Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 118 of the Movie Bite podcast. We're going to talk about some movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Tuesday, December the 16th, 2014. I am TJ, your host, and joining me today is a man who is going to lead us out of captivity. He's going to get Pharaoh to let the people go. I've heard a rumor that he's a general in the Movie Bite army. It is Joe Darnell. Hi, TJ. Hi, Joe. How, How are things in the Movie Bite army? Um, pretty bad. All these ruffians, they can't swing sticks. It's pretty sad. Well, Joe, we also have a guest tonight that I would like to go ahead and introduce. He's a regular on the podcast these days, so it's hard to think of him as a guest, but uh, I want to introduce him anyway. Yes, it's Lieutenant Joshua. Okay, Lieutenant Joshua, let's go with that. It is Mikey Fizzle. What's up, man? Hey, I was going to say, does that mean I get to be like Aaron Paul? Like, you're kind of <laughs> curious why I'm even on this podcast, but I yeah. keep popping up from time to time. <laughs> sure. Sure, that makes sense. I mean, you know, why not? It, it, I mean, it's nothing about it makes sense, so we'll just throw it in there anyway. But I'm like, an, I'm sort of a name, you know, relative to some people that you could have on the show. So, I mean, not like a huge name, but just no. enough like you recognize me from this other thing that you call it once or twice. And you're like, right. oh, yeah, he's there. But just a couple. It represents times. you represent the the American audience. <laughs> I don't uh, think the audience could be represented by a less American American. <laughs> I'm a terrible American. <laughs> I, I've got news for you. I think I am too, but in, in many different ways than you. So it's it's fine. Um, well, to kick off the show, um, because um, the not the desolation of Smaug. Uh, what's the new one called? Uh, the Battle of the Five Armies. Battle of the Five Armies. Thank you. I don't even care that much, so I didn't hadn't even bothered to remember what the name of the film was. The Battle of Five Armies is coming up. Um, is it already out? Is it out? The, is it this week or? I thought it I, came out like Christmas Day. No, it comes out tomorrow. tomorrow okay. As as we're recording this, well, can, um, which means that people can see it basically. Actually, uh, one of my uh, co-conspirators on Real World Theology is watching it like right now so or well and maybe listening like to hour. this podcast is the price of admission yeah yeah absolutely you should listen to this podcast first no i couldn't remember if it was last weekend or this weekend i know we're seeing it this weekend but i couldn't remember which weekend opening weekend was anyway uh in anticipation of that stephen colbert not colbert joe but colbert <laughs> stephen colbert um oh, the has, other guy yeah he has interviewed smaug for us not smog but smaug uh, and uh, he Smaug had a few things to say about um, the upcoming film. So let's let's see what some let's let's play a clip from that. Thanks very much. Welcome back, everybody. My guest tonight has armor like tenfold shields, teeth like swords, claws like spears, a tail like a thunderbolt, wings like a hurricane, and breath like death. Though he might want to leave that last part off his Tinder profile. Please welcome the last great fire Drake of the Third Age, 
Smog! Wait, um, where's the dragon? Chiefest and greatest of calamities is in the house. everybody! <laughs> now, now your tremendousness. Yes. I want you to know that I am not intimidated by you, even though you have a reputation as a tough interview because you often eat the host. But you needn't worry, you're my last interview of the day. I've already filled up on the ladies of the view. <laughs> All right. I couldn't stop playing it. I wanted to break in, but I just couldn't. <laughs> I, I, you, you can't understand half of the things that Smaug says, but it's awesome. Really? I've, I've got to <laughs> really? memorize at this point. <laughs> well, yes, if you concentrate. It's great. I, I love. I, I, I just love his expressions. I love it that he ripped the sh- the set to shreds. I yes. love it that it's it's the production values of the movie. It really is. This is um, what it does this from time to time. Um, what a digital that, of course, did the work on the Hobbit films and on the Lord of the Rings films. Um, they did this similar thing for an acceptance speech with um, Gollum, where Gollum uh, had a lot of nasty things to say to the audience uh, <laughs> in appreciation for his acceptance speech. You know, I heard about that, but I never saw it. Was it worth watching? Yeah, I linked to, to it, it on it Movie Byte, dude. What award was oh. that at? What's that? What, what what award was that at? Or it what show was M- that at? It was some MTV award thing. Um, I'm looking it up right now. Here we go. Because um, I feel like I have seen that, but I can't remember right. if I actually saw it or I caught it on YouTube or something later. Let's see if I can find the part where... All right, so Andy Serkis starts out the video. Can't actually be with you this evening because we're down in New Zealand completing more shots on Gollum for Return of the King. I'm actually in the motion capture studio where we do a lot of Gollum. Uh, I would like to say a big thank you to all the MTV fans, to the Lord of the Rings fans, and to everybody who worked on Gollum. It is a complete marriage of skills. You're a liar! And the thief, it's mine. I won it. It was me. We only won because of me. I'm me. MTV is my friend. My friend. All right, so. Wow, it sounded like he, like, literally interrupted Andy Serkis. He did. He came right like, on the screen he, and interrupted Did he Andy jump on, right on top of Andy? He pulled the award out of his hand. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. All right. So I'm going to put that in the show notes as well. Uh, so what it does is from time to time, and it really is wonderful. Um, I, I, and, and of course, it's Benedict Cumberbatch, so it's a double wonderful. Um, of course, uh, Smaug, has to, Smaug has to tell us later that he would not work with that hack, Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> it's pretty fun. So I could listen to Smaug like, for hours. You're not saying much, uh, Fizz. Oh, no. I mean... I, I really like almost everything they do because it's not just that Smog was like on the Colbert Report. It's how the Colbert Report typically intertwines all their jokes and stuff. So it would have been one thing for him to just kind of go nerdy because he's a huge Tolkien fan. Right, right, right. But they actually gave Smog a persona, like the like a conservative perso- persona. Yes. About I love sleeping that. on his movie <laughs> or sleeping on his money and stuff like that. And that it worked really well with Colbert's whole uh, almost well, well his shtick. And if you don't know what his shtick is, then watch the show and you'll figure it out. Yeah, I don't watch it regularly, but I do know what his shtick is. Um let's see if I can find the part here where And we're both fiscal conservatives who sleep on giant piles of money. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. Time to return to the gold standard. 
Rand Paul 2016. Yeah. Get some, Rand. <laughs> I got my wife to even laugh at that line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. It's wonderful. And this is a sort of thing. One of the reasons I wanted to talk about this. I'm glad you put it in the show outline, Joe. Uh, by the way, all the links today, except for two, come from Joe. So um, usually, well, I do to you, those, but Joe. But uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and the letter uh, and the letter J. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this was because um, this is wonderful promotion for a film. I mean, it's even made me uh, a little bit less down on a film that I am just not excited about at all. Um, so you know, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. You're not interested in the smog movie? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> I have to say not. Oh, dear. Yeah. Are, are you excited to see that movie this weekend? You know, I actually just saw the um, the last Hobbit film on uh, Blu-ray a week ago. That's right. And you probably didn't see the other one in the theater. That's right. Because uh, that that's was right. still when Chad was, was uh, taking your place for a while. Yeah, I wasn't watching movies because I wasn't on a podcast about movies. I had no, I had no reason to watch movies. I just no reason I hibernated. <laughs> if you no don't podcast then you don't need to watch any movies. Absolutely. That's right. It's Fizz pretty, knows pretty what I'm talking about. <laughs> so Fizz, are you looking forward to this movie? Oh yeah, I'm excited. I think it's going to be um, pretty great. I'm not Lord of the Rings excited, but I'm definitely excited. Yeah, I mean, like, we, we talked about this when we talked about The Hobbit, or Did the we, last... I, my, my poor memory. Re- refresh me. So, I, after, about halfway through the first Hobbit trilogy movie... I kind of came to terms with the fact that it's not really the Hobbit we're watching. No, we're ba- we're basically watching Middle Earth parts one, two, and three, and being complete because I love the world so much, and because I love exploring it and the characters and stuff. I- I'm not one of the people who are upset that it's not just the book. I, I do feel like it gets a bit long in places, but in general, <laughs> I'm f- I'm I'm pretty okay with the fact that we're just exploring characters and places and ideas in middle earth because I mean, I, I don't think people are going to realize how much they miss having one of these films come out every now and then once hypothetically, this is the last one. So anything that gets me into middle earth, I, I'm kind of okay with, like I said, only because I, I see it as not really the Hobbit one, two and three. I see it as middle earth one, two and three. Yeah. You know that Michael Menkoff is a huge fan of the Hobbit films. Like he likes them, he regards them as highly as the Lord of the Ring films. Maybe we should have yes. him on when we review it. Well, that's next week. So if you want to get him on, feel free. Okay. <laughs> Wait, are you being Michael. sarcastic? Not, you, no, I, no, no, not not TJ. Joe, are you being sarcastic about Michael? No, you that? know you would think I was being sarcastic. Wouldn't yeah, I? But no. Yeah, Michael is really into them. Like when he went in to watch the first one, I, he told me how he he got a beer or two going in his system before he saw the first Hobbit film, and he really liked it. And then he watched it without alcoholics, and then you know he 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 liked it just as much. And then when he saw the second film, he liked it a lot. And yeah, he saw both films multiple times in theaters. Hmm. Well, I had been planning on booking Clark, which I need to get on the ball and do that for next week. But I don't know. I'm open to whatever. Yeah, you know, we we should have we should just have all the prior guests well, back everybody onto this one episode. Who's ever been on the movie bite? Well, the frustrating exactly. thing is I'm limited to two guests right now because Skype cut off the older PowerPC computer version of Skype. It won't work anymore, uh, so I only have two guest capacity right now. It's frustrating. Mm. So it's Joe and somebody else, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> we should move on. Because uh, that was fun, but yes, let's let's talk about some other movie that Joseph hasn't watched. Oh yes, let's talk about the Insurgent trailer. 
future our people deserve. What does Janine think is in that box, Caleb? I don't know, but she's testing divergence. Searching for the one who can open it. So that was a short clip from the trailer for the upcoming film Insurgent, uh, following up on last year's, or was it this year? I don't even remember now, Divergent um, film. Um, and it stars Shailene uh, Woodley and other names that I can't think of off the top of my head. Uh, and it, here's the thing, guys. like Divergent was fine. I didn't hate it as much as a lot of people, but the, I don't know that this is – this. Uh, I just don't know that we're going to a good place with this franchise and for the people that haven't, that are uh, not familiar with Insurgent, can you tell me? It's basically like the Hunger Games in space. What is it? Uh, no, I mean it takes it takes place on Earth. Essentially, there are um, there was some sort of disaster. It's un, at least in the movies, it's unclear what the disaster was, and that the people uh, have regrouped and they're uh, trying to recover from it and trying to uh, live their lives. And they've divided into factions. And I don't remember the which faction is which, but Erudite, I think, is the leadership of of uh of the faction of, of the people and then you've got like the uh the, the um like the police force uh people mm-hmm. um i can't remember the name of that faction but that's the one that of course uh uh shailene woodley's character goes to which i also can't remember the name see, see it's but, that, but that's the problem right tj <laughs> what yeah i'm gonna say that's the problem though right because at the end of the day even though it wasn't really a terrible film you ju- it wasn't something that really stuck with you no, it wasn't, and it's not something that really made me think. In fact, I was quite satisfied with the ending of that film, except that they threw on just a little tag to go, oh, no, there will be more coming. Like, you know, you see them riding out into the field or whatever, and, and things aren't resolved. But if they had just cut that off, like, you could think, oh, things will resolve themselves. It'll be fine. Triss, that was Shannon Woodley's character's name. I honestly don't even remember how the film ended. That's how <laughs> little impact it made. I mean, we even had a podcast on it, and I talked about it. I just the 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 teaser trailer for insurgent i was like this is dumb it does look much more <laughs> dumb but but to, to be fair i think the tra- i think if i remember right i thought the trailers for insurgent i mean i'm uh divergent the first one i thought they looked dumb too and the movie wasn't as dumb as the trailers made them look uh i don't know that that's mm, I, I i'll go see it and we'll see but I, i'm not expecting it to be as good i'm expecting them to go downhill there's been very few movies that I've done or I've gone to see in the theater since I started podcasting that I that actually felt like work to me. Like, oh, I probably should go see this because lots of people are going to see it and they're going to want to, you know, they're going to want to hear about it. And we're going to want to have a conversation. And Insurgent feels like that. I feels like I feel like lots of people are going to go see it and I'm going to have to drag myself to the theater to see a movie that I just don't care that much about so i'm hoping it surprises me but i don't have very high hopes but do you not find that occasionally that happens and you go oh wow i'm really glad that i did go to see that that wasn't actually work after all well well there there's the expectation thing that i think we've mentioned in the past where if my expectations are low enough then when i actually see it if it's if it's an okay movie i'm like oh well i kind of enjoyed that because my expectations were so low so that that does help to some degree Mm -hmm. i think that's what happened when i went to see the giver yeah, and the giver was I. I would rate the giver higher than than Divergent. That's what I. Yeah, Joe, you had a thought you wanted to throw in there. It just sounds like uh, it reminds me of my personal experience with what is it called um, Ender's Game. Mm. Yeah, the first film was pretty good, but also a little bit forgettable at times. Would y'all agree? No, really, no, I would not. <laughs> you just didn't like it. I'm ready for the next uh, Ender's Game film. 
to, to oh, be really? fair, I felt like Ender's Game, the film, did not capture quite what I felt from the book, but um, I I liked it well enough, and I'm ready for the next one. Are Are um, you familiar with the sequel? I am not. Um, okay, because I because I, I read the sequel. Uh, it, it's a completely different kind of story. I don't think we okay. want to go there. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea about that. From what I understand, it's not it's not more the same. No, it's it goes completely off different land. Um. So. Yeah, the only reason I read the book, I know that it's a book I should have been familiar with, but I, I wasn't. In fact, I hadn't really heard of it, I don't think, until the trailers and stuff started coming out. And then I read the book, um, and uh, it was okay. It was fine. Um, it was not uh, one of my favorites, and it's never destined to be, whether in movie or in book form, but it was fine. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, I I would be interested in continuing down that world. It's unfortunate that what you're telling me is that we're not going to get to go through, down that path some more. I don't think so, it, because the sequel actually picks up with Ender about 20 years later, and he ended up a teacher. He had to change his name. He's kind of depressed. He doesn't know what to do with his life. Um, well, that everybody, sounds dumb. It, yeah, everybody has <laughs> aged. He he doesn't know what to do with himself. He doesn't know if he wants to go on to become a politician or some kind of prophet. He, you know, he ends up on another planet where – Let's see. Politician, influ- prophet. Politician, prophet. You know, Joe, I can't decide either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and he, he, he doesn't know whether or not to interfere with this other alien race's course of you know natural causes and events. And uh, it, it's it's interesting, but it's do what's they interesting not have too, the prime directive? Come on, guys. Yeah, no. You'd think. Prime directive people. But yeah, the the author says that the sequel was actually the book he always wanted to write. Mm. That was that the Ender's game was just a prequel to get him there. Well, did you enjoy the book at all? Uh, not not nearly as much as Ender's Game. Interesting. All right, all right. I don't know. Well, in that case, that that lowers my expectations quite a bit. I don't know that I'd heard that before. Hmm. Hmm. Well, speaking about um, lowering our expectations, this is something that will not disappoint you. No, I I was quite. I I am no fan of Hal Rudnick's, but I quite enjoyed. Uh, this video of him interviewing uh, uh, James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy. And in fact, he managed to – he must have really liked Guardians of the Galaxy because he wasn't disparaging at all <laughs> in that interview. Um, so, uh, yeah, I highly recommend uh, this. Uh, here, here, just quick. So I'm here with Mr. James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy. We have a number of questions from our fans for you. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Well, I, I feel extra pressure because the fans mean a lot to me. So right. let's, uh, let's, let's get on with this. So I highly recommend this interview. It was a lot of fun. Um, got to talk about his, his favorite scene and stuff. I didn't realize just how personable James Gunn is. He talks about this film and Marvel films in general like, like a fan would. Yeah. A professional about it, but like a, a member of the audience that has been thrust into filmmaking. So he has a lot of respect for the characters, for scenes. He remembers the lines better than I do, oh, yeah. which is saying a lot. <laughs> of course. It seems, but I mean, like, that doesn't go without saying. And I, I don't know. I, I was definitely intrigued by some of the points he made. That he, he definitely is paying very close attention, not just like as a filmmaker trying to, to eye the gimmicks that will enthrall the audience, but as somebody who actually appreciates superhero films as an art form and something that he can make make timeless feel relevant i, I got that in the, by just uh, his pers- his personality and how he characterizes the films 
Yeah, I mean, I also uh, agreed with his assessment, which means he understands the weaknesses of his own film, I guess. But he he said at one point um, that uh, he felt that his own film's weakness was not having enough of the villain or not developing the villain enough. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm with (laughs) you. Even though I love Guardians of the Galaxy, it's like it's the consistent cry of us fans of the of the films of the of the Marvel films. It's like, what are you guys doing with your villains? What's going on here? So, uh, yeah. Mm. <clears throat> uh, I wonder if anyone would have a similar criticism of Star Wars Episode Four if you could go back to a time before The Empire Strikes Back. I wonder how people felt about people like characters like Darth Vader from Episode Four. Well, I talked about that a little last week. I think that it's a little bit weird that Vader was subservient to somebody who was didn't have anything to do with the Force at all, and, and all yeah. that stuff. Like that's a yeah. I, I I completely agree. I think there were some character weaknesses with the villains in Star Wars Episode Four. So in mm-hmm. Guardians sequel, presumably, uh, what's his name? Darkseed or whatever they're calling him. <laughs> He's going places. I want to call him get to know that character more. Well, the, the, <laughs> the villain in this one, spoiler alert, he died. So, um, you know, it's no, well, yeah, but you know, the villain's boss. Yeah. I mean, uh, oh, Thanos? Thanos is obviously going to be a big thing in phase three for, for Marvel. So I expect him, I expect them to turn it, turn the ship around in regards to these, uh, villains, but, Especially, I mean, as concerning Thanos, anyway. But we'll, I mean, we'll see. And 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 to be fair, I mean, we've got uh, Joss Whedon, who typically does, uh, you know, you know, typically does villains well. Although, again, and, and I feel this is why I feel like it may be studio interference. I feel like the villains were a little bit weak in Avengers too. You know, you got Tom Hiddleston, which he was great, but but like the, he wasn't the primary villain at the end of the film that, that they were trying to be. Like the the rest of the villains seem to lack any character development, and that's like I said, that's like a a resounding theme throughout all of Marvel's films so far. And I hope with Thanos and, and you know, the infinity war and stuff coming up, they're going to turn that around. And certainly James Gunn has mentioned it's a weakness that he's going to try to fix. So maybe it's a plan of Marvel studios to go back one day and tell the origin stories of all the villains and give them the limelight. <laughs> I don't know that I want that. Because if you, I feel like you've been trying to say something. Have you been trying to interject? Uh, oh no, actually from a little bit earlier, I, I, when I watched the James Gunn interview, there was something about him that I couldn't place my put my finger on, I guess. But I really liked it, and I think Joe maybe hit on it where he, he is like a fan that really enjoys what he does, not just a someone who's coming to collect a paycheck or someone who's very detached from the material or thinks more highly of it than he really should. Yeah. 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 And so he appreciates the fact that he's got to be a part of it. And he appreciates the fact that he's working with people that he admires and loves and is looking forward to doing that in the future. Like I said, there's a, there's a gratefulness about uh, and a playfulness about hit the interview that, that uh, just really kind of impressed me and stuck with me. So I mean, I'm excited to see what James Gunn does in the future. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's move on to the next bit of uh, interesting news, and that is a trailer for an upcoming Pixar original film. Not a not a not a follow up, not a part two, not a whatever, but a original film from Pixar. This is the trailer for Inside Out. So, how was the first day of school? It was fine, I guess. I don't know. Do you ever look at someone and wonder what is going on inside their head? Did you guys pick up on that? Sure Ooh, did. Something's wrong. We're going to find out what's happening, but we'll need support. Signal the husband. Uh-oh, she's looking at us. What did she say? What? 
Oh, oh, sorry, <laughs> sir. No one was listening. <laughs> I love that. You know what this feels like is a Pixar short film that's being turned into a feature film. That's what it feels it like. I love does it. does feel like that, doesn't it? But I think this is where Pixar's bread and butter is. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it would work for a feature film. But I'm certainly happy that they're going in that direction with it. And uh, that you know, one thing that could probably cause some confusion, you know, I'm okay with this. I, you have to pay attention to it very closely. But every one of the human characters has the exact same set of human uh, human emotions. They're just characterized differently, but mm-hmm. they actually look very similar. So that helps you to figure out. Okay, the purple guy is always the the scared one. He he represents fear, and, and he he kind of he's kind of irrational. He he lashes out on his basic impulses. But in this one, he's wearing like a lot of hair. In this one, he's got glasses. And this one, he's kind of young. You know, right? So it could get a little confusing when they're hopping back and forth. You know, like which head am I in? Yeah, I had that thought. Yeah, that it could get it could get very confusing. There are differences, like not all the characters cross over. Like they, they do use the same character for the same emotion, but there are different primary emotions in each in each head. Like there is a character in one head that's not in another and, and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, it, it's a very interesting concept. Um, it's not one that I'm uh, – again, we'll have to see how it goes in a feature film. Like you said, there could be some confusion. It could be a little bit weird, but it is it, it, it does feel like a wonderful concept and – and certainly, like it really does. I hadn't thought about it in just that way, Joe. But you're right; it has that feel of one of Pixar's shorts. And I always love Pixar shorts, and I hope that it translates well to a feature length film. And I hope this is a um, a rebirth, if you will, for Pixar. I hope they're getting back on track from from kind of what we've seen from them lately. It's hard to tell at this point, seeing as this is is this considered a teaser or a regular trailer? I think it was a teaser trailer. Okay. Because it kind of has that feel, like it's hard to tell if this is. You remember the Monsters Inc. Uh, teaser? It was great. Sully and Mike are working the job together, and they're both trying to scare a kid by coming through the closet. But they botched it up, and it characterized. Well, it, it, it communicated to you what the characters would be like. But what was interesting was that it actually didn't represent something that would happen in the movie. So uh, it was a slightly misleading in a good way. I mm. like that. Pixar has their moments with teaser trailers. Yeah. This? Well, I'm going to say if they can keep the, the kind of tone or feel that the trailer has, then I am 100% on board with this movie. Absolutely. I agree. It, it, it looks incredibly entertaining. Like I said, I don't know if they can keep uh, kind of like Joe's kind of talking about. You know, it feels like a short. So it was maybe the shtick kind of works for the the short, but does it does it work over the course of an hour and a half to right. two hours? Does it sustain? Um, if it's sustainable, then, like I said, this might be you know the next big thing from Pixar. Yeah, it really does have a lot of potential. There was one thing in the trailer that I was not particularly happy with, and it happened right at the end. I was not excited about it at all. I'm like, what kind of message is this family-friendly film trying to send where the woman is, oh, that was a disaster. And then they they'd talked earlier about the dreamy dude that they had met, you know, the, the characters in her brain. So it's her brain saying, well – you know, I gave up this really dreamy guy for this, you know, and then they put on a, a video of him asking her to come on the helicopter ride or whatever it was, you know, in his dreamy voice. And I, I thought, I don't know if I want that <laughs> in my Pixar film. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that, but that was incredible though, because what they're doing, I mean, well, I, I'm not trying to explain something to people, no, go but ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love the fact that 
you had each of the three people doing the things that you would stereotypically see people doing, except when you're dealing with the emotions in the trailer, they're all being really, really honest about what they're doing. Whereas we're all lying and trying to put a facade put a front on what we actually say. Facade was the word you were looking I mean, for. Well, I mean, we, okay, that works too. <laughs> Go ahead, so, sorry. I mean, so like, I, I think I think just as much as it annoys me that the husband in this case is, you know, detached and unconcerned and whatnot for the most part, and willing to only be involved to the point where he is putting his foot down. I think that's it's just as hilarious to have the wife be like, "Oh my gosh, look what I gave up." Uh, and like I said, I think the the beauty of Pixar is they're not going to leave us there. I think eventually we're going to have to have inner inner dialogues with each of, each of these characters if they're assume they're the characters that are going to be actually be in the movie, uh, where those things start to degrade because our characters go on some kind of journey and they learn lessons and et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's a great starting place. Um, kind of like Joe was talking about with the the Monsters Inc. trailer. You know, that that's the starting place of the movie, but over time we see how that changes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall I'm, I'm definitely very excited to see what, what happens here. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, let me see. When was this film coming out? Let me pull that back up. I just closed the thing. Uh, June the 19th or June 19th of 2015. So next year mm-hmm. is when this film's coming out. So got a lot of films I'm looking forward to next year. Speaking mm. of films I'm looking forward to next year, mm. uh, or mm. actually be in a couple of years, but, um, <laughs> Uh, and, and the future's a little shaky on this, as we talked about last week with uh, Jim Metzendorf. Um, uh, the Star Trek, the third uh, uh, Star Trek film in the rebooted franchise, is, uh, is, is helm- it doesn't have anybody at the helm right now. Uh, hmm. Roberto Orsi was going to direct, and he has stepped down for reasons unknown. And uh, now there are reports that Rupert Wyatt is on the shortlist to replace Roberto Orsi in directing the next Star Trek film. Mike Fleming Jr. over at Dunline says that the studio is high on and has met with Rupert Wyatt, who helmed Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And the new remake, <clears throat> excuse me, the new remake, The Gambler, uh, I think that's supposed to be of The Gambler. I'm reading somebody else's article. The new <laughs> remake of The Gambler with Mark Wahlberg for Paramount. Um, uh, he seems to be atop this list, but he's not. he's got company. Uh, Morton Tildum, director of the Oscar bait film The Imitation Game, is on the list also. Uh, and let's see, uh, Daniel Espinoza, who has wrapped Child 44 with Tom Hardy. Justin Lin of Fast and Furious is also on the list. Uh, and let's see, was that it? Oh, Duncan Jones. So those are the names that are on the list to direct Star Trek. Uh, and I know, uh, Joe, you may not be as much of a Star Trek fan, but I know Fizz uh, joins me a little bit more on that front, I believe, if I remember correctly. I talked to too oh. many people. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I want them to continue to make these Star Trek films as long as they're even halfway watchable. Right. I mean, I will go see bad Star Trek films because oh. I love, I love the uni- the Star Trek universe so much. Like I said, I mean, maybe there's a pattern here. You know, the the Hobbit in Star Trek. As long as you can make an, a universe that's expansive and interesting, then I will probably go see most of the things that are uh, contained therein. I'm so. I'm totally with you. Even if I was of movie going uh, 
age and, and, and when Star Trek five came out, I probably would have gone and seen it in the theater more than once just because it was a Star Trek film. And I fully oh, yeah. admit, I fully and ad- freely admit that it is either the worst or the second worst Star Trek film ever made. I'm not sure which. Hey, when I was a kid and I, I was just like, and I didn't really understand what was going on. I love Star Trek five. I oh thought this gosh, was so I've always hated it. I was like, this is so wacky. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, and especially kind of brother. Have you watched it in your adulthood? Oh yeah, I have. I know it's not a very good. film. It's not a good film. And have you seen the special effects in that film? No, it's terrible. It's but, awful. But the I'm glad it got made because, and I may have mentioned this before too. I feel like I'm a broken record tonight, but it has probably my favorite line from any Star Trek movie in it. So, what does God want with a starship? Yeah, why does God need a starship? You know, <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. I just, I just, I just want to ask one question. What does God need with a starship? The whole movie is worth that one line. <laughs> it really is. You're absolutely right. I love that so, line. <laughs> Bring it to me. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, yeah. It, it, um, I'm, I'm with you though. I mean, there, although here's the thing, like people say that Nemesis was a bad Star Trek film and I, mm, it was not the best, but I think it was better than Star Trek 2009, for instance. Uh, Wait, which one's 2009? Is it the... That was the rebooted, the J.J.'s first Star Trek film. Oh, no, that one. I really like that one. Eh, okay. It, it's fine. Uh, and here's the thing. There's a campaign to get Jonathan Frakes to direct uh, Star Trek, the next Star Trek film. And he directed First Contact and the universally hated Insurrection, which I also happen to like a lot. <laughs> um so it's like, the, well, the, the, and they're probably just not going to, I mean, the studio, I don't think there's any chance that they will tap Jonathan Frakes to direct, uh, even though that's what all the fans want. And I, I think that's, a, I, as I explained in my article, I think that's a little misguided of the studio because they want to keep a fresh face on it and blah, blah, blah. And Jonathan Frakes represents old Star Trek. And, you know, I mean, I feel like at this point they've had their chance to expand Star Trek, and I don't think they've done a really good job. Like, I think that, when, for instance, when I go to the theater, all I see are Star Trek geeks. And the films, but you know, the, the amount of money the films are making tells me that only the Star Trek fans and maybe a few of their friends are going out to see these films. So it's it's time to really, I think, buckle in and say, this is the audience we have with Star Trek. Let's make a good Star Trek film. That's hmm. my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I would say that's fine. I just don't think you can do that with Jonathan Frakes. You don't I think don't, so? I don't think he's a very good director. Oh man, I, have you not seen all the TV? Have you been, been not been watching TV? He's done some. I know it's TV and not feature film. He's done well, some terrific directing in the TV space. Okay, so that that would be my caveat. I, I I think that when I say he's not a very great director, I'm talking about feature films because I think he is a I think he's a TV director. I don't think he's I don't think he has the scope and imagination to to really direct a feature film and bring something. Mm. good to the table because while most people love first contact to me it feels a lot like insurrection both of them feel like really long star trek episodes to me Mm, i don't agree with that at all so i have to uh, agree with mike so i know i knew you would but you don't count because you're not a star you're not a died in the world (laughs) star trek fan what i can tell you is that there's no way that jonathan frakes direction is equivalent to the likes of jj abrams and Mm. if i don't think he's been given a chance to be the likes of jj abrams he has uh, he hasn't done enough to prove himself think about jj he he got his start on television and his stuff was light years better sorry about that his his stuff was way better than anything Jonathan Frakes did for television. I, I mean, don't it, agree. these ways. What I mean by better is that it has is, is in general 
more appealing to a wider audience. Yeah, a broader audience, yeah. I suppose. I, 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 I really don't quite agree, but... Well, and that's the thing. I think we, if you wanted to have an entire episode on us arguing about his goodness or baddest, or Star Trek in general, yes. then we probably should talk point. about this. In general, we probably need to move on before we start throwing punches. Yeah, I, I, we we do, and we do. Need, we have a film <laughs> that we actually want to review. But I just want to say, I've been rewatching Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, I haven't watched every single episode, but I, now that it's out in HD, I've been rewatching it in HD. First of all, fantastic, wonderful. Uh, but secondly, I've really been noticing how much I like Jonathan Frakes as an actor. I know that doesn't say much from him as a director. I do <laughs> like his directing too, but I'm like he. I don't know if if like I'm, I don't see him in a lot of other roles. But as as Riker, he certainly brought a lot of of uh, what was that, Fizz? It's because he's not a good actor. I'm just saying I I don't know. I know that he plays in other roles, and I haven't seen them, so I don't know. But I really like what he did with Riker. I I thought it was really wonderful. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I you guys are haters. Haters no. are gonna hate, <laughs> and ainers are gonna ain't. So boom. Uh, don't even know. And what TJ that will be TJ. Yeah, well, I'm gonna say I, I, Riker is one of my least favorite characters in the Next Generation. He was so. mine for a while, but in rewatching these, like I've really been like I think maybe I had started to think, oh, he's not so good. Somehow I had gotten gotten caught onto this because other Trek fans are that way too. Like Riker's not that great, and I'm watching. I'm going, why did I ever think that? He's wonderful. I, I really like what he does here. Hmm. So there was some. There's been some really great Riker episodes that I've been watching. So I, I can't agree with that perspective anymore. Hmm. <laughs> Well, people, if you want to tune in more for the Trek bite, then you need to check out. <laughs> Who's okay? Somebody's putting stuff in. I just, I just, I just click back to the tab of the show outline, and Riker is yelling at me here in in the show outline. <laughs> I, I just put in a little Easter egg for you, just seeing if anybody was paying attention while I was listening. This is you. obviously from the second season because it's still the first or second season uniform style, but he has a beard which he didn't have in the first season. So this is okay, the second season. Now image. that you're describing it, you're going to have to put it in the show notes. Yes, it will be in the show notes. Notes. It will for sure. Uh, I feel like you should Photoshop like a, like him eating a hot dog or something. <laughs> well, I can Photoshop that. I feel like he's telling us that Ridley Scott would like for us to move into uh, Exodus Gods and Kings territory. What do you mm. say? Yes, mm. that, the, clearly that's what he was saying. Segway, yes, yeah, segway, absolutely. And and you have to point out those good segways. So this is uh, we're about to review a film. That well, let's not spoil it just yet. But here is a, the trailer for Exodus: Gods and Kings. I came to tell you, something is coming that is far beyond my control. Unless you set my people free, I am prepared to fight for eternity. Moses. You say that you didn't cause all this. You say that your God did. I am the God. I am the God. One thing is clear to me. I want the movie that this trailer promised me. (laughs) (laughs) This film was released on December the 12th, 2014. It had a budget of 140 million. Opening weekend, it brought in $24.1 measly million dollars, worldwide gross of $75.8 million. Rotten Tomatoes critic consensus says that while sporadically stirring and suitably epic in its ambitions, Exodus Gods and Kings can't quite live up to its classic source material. 
director was, as mentioned, Ridley Scott, uh, who has been hit or miss for me over the course of his career. Uh, writers Adam Cooper, Bill College, Jeffrey Kane, and Stephen Zalian uh, wrote the script. Uh, the stars are Christian Bale as Moses, Joel Edgerton as Ramses, John Turturro uh, as Seti, Pharaoh Seti. Uh, I don't have any idea if I'm saying that right. Uh, Aaron Paul as Joshua, Ben Mendelsohn as Viceroy Hegep, uh, Maria Valverde as Zipporah, Sigourney Weaver as Toya. I did not even <laughs> notice that. And Ben Kingsley not. as Nun. What was that? How could you not? She just stood out like a sore thumb. Uh, yes. I, I, I honestly, I knew she was going to be in the film and I was going to look for her and then I forgot and I never did notice her. Can I ask you a really important question before we keep going? I assume this is extremely important. This is the most important question about you know, that we're going to cover in this podcast. But every time, go ahead, call her every time, every time that they, uh, Oh yeah. Sorry. Uh, first time, long time. Um, <laughs> th- did everyone notice, did everyone in their heads when they talked about the Viceroy say, Oh, the Viceroy. Yes. I like did. from star, like from the Phantom Menace. He just kept doing it over and. Oh no, I didn't. Thanks for ruining it for me. Yeah, because yes. every time they said it, I was like, "Oh, the Viceroy!" Yeah. <laughs> and then I realized like how how much more racist the Phantom Menace was than I thought it was already. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so the composer, the composer was Alberto I- Iglesias. Iglesias. Um, I did not find anything about the score that stood out to me. It felt very generic. Yeah, nothing remarkable, nothing unremarkable. Mm. It definitely sounded Middle Eastern. It was huge, broad strokes, long, sweeping, epic pieces of soundtrack. It went on and on and on and on and on and on and on, on, like this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, Joe, Joe, (sighs) storyline. Please tell us about the story. Okay, gather around, everybody. Mm -hmm. I got a brief storyline to tell you. This is straight from. The studio. I I did not want to reimagine their storyline. So this is what they had to say for it. Epic adventure, Exodus, Gods and Kings, is the story of one man's daring courage to take on the might of an empire using state-of-the-art visual effects and 3D immersion. 3D immersion, TJ. Scott brings new life to the story of the defiant leader Moses as he rises up against Egyptian pharaoh Ramses, setting 600,000 slaves on a monumental journey of escape from Egypt and its terrifying cycle of deadly plagues. Opening statements. (laughs) Joe. I would like to say here and now to everybody listening that um, if you wanted a biblical account of Exodus because you're remotely vaguely familiar with the Bible or the Ten Commandments movie and you just like to see that updated and you know retold with special effects, you're not going to get it. Nope. On the surface, this looks like the same story, but in most of the details, the story is largely different in a similar way that like the Man of Steel is largely different from Richard Donner's original Superman. Like this is not the same story when you look at any of the details. Yeah. Well, um, so my, my opening, opening remarks, I loved a Viceroy. Um, gosh, I, I didn't really feel like it was drastically different than the story we've been told tons of times. I felt like Do they you tried read to f- the same Bible we read. Well, see, the, I mean, <laughs> you're like, in the NIV, aren't you? Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I will stop interrupting you. 
but that that the thing is that I know that I think the places where it was fairly different were, were because they were trying to focus on particular things, and I don't think that they did any of those particular things well. So in in my mind, the reason I was excited to go see this movie ever since I heard about it was because I assumed that this movie or well this story has been told so many times and in so many ways and through so many formats that if they're going to take the time to do it again they're really going to bring something new to the story right you would think so and i did not find that there was really anything new brought to the story i mean like i said a couple of changes here and there uh, i mean like a couple for cinematic effect things but I mean, it was a like I said. I don't want to say theologically or biblically accurate. I don't want to throw around terms like that. But the general course of the story, I was like, "Yep, yeah, okay, that's kind of what we expected." I okay, mean, for me, if you zoom out into a very broad view, yes, it's the story of Moses. He goes out to you know he he kills an Egyptian. He goes to the wilderness uh, for. Well, it was for 40 years. The movie says it was nine years. He went, according to the Bible, he went into the wilderness for 40 years. He was 80 years old when he came back to Egypt. Uh, he saw the burning bush and he comes to Egypt and God sends plagues and he leads the people to the Red Sea and they cross over on, uh, supposed to be dry land. It was not dry in the film. Um, and, uh, those, some of those are minor quibbles. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So for me, like what I saw in the trailers and what I really wanted and unfortunately, in some ways I got, and in some ways I didn't, but what I really wanted was the Gladiator-like or the Gladiator production values and sensibilities that Ridley Scott brought to Gladiator. I wanted that for Exodus, Gods, and Kings. I wanted it for the story of Moses. And unfortunately, I got it in the wrong way. I got what he did to Gladiator historically, which is make it completely inaccurate, um, And and but yet – so that's what he brought to uh, Moses, but he didn't bring the same sense of visual style or the same sense of storytelling or the same sense of plot. Uh, he didn't bring any of that to Exodus Gods and Kings. I was extremely disappointed, and I feel like that what I, I was watching that trailer again just now as I was playing it for the uh, for the opening of our review of Exodus Gods and Kings, and I'm like, I really want to see this movie. Why didn't I get to see this movie? Um, there was because the, the 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 trailer made it feel like we were gonna see this. We we're really gonna be in this place, and and in some ways, I don't want to I don't want to downplay that because on a visually and and just in terms of transporting me to that era in time, the film did that at times, uh, especially in the beginning. I really felt like I was in uh, old Egypt and and in in a lot better way than I did with than I ever did with Ten Commandments by Cecil B. DeMille. Um, th I was transported to Egypt, but, but the, as the, as time wore on, as the first act expired and we moved on to the rest of the film, I really lost that sense. It felt like Ridley Scott just sort of lost his way. So that, that's my opening remarks for the film. Well, I would counter with one thing that's kind of, a possibly slash hope. And in my review of Exodus, I, I actually pointed out that, this movie originally was cut at four hours. Mm. Okay. And, and like a lot of Ridley Scott's films, like he has these director's cuts that he has and they always get chopped down and they turn what uh, could have been and tends to be 
fairly well liked films into what comes out in the theater that is usually critically panned and universally not liked. Uh, like the the biggest example was Kingdom of Heaven. Like people went to see this movie. It wasn't that great of a movie, but then apparently he came out with a director's cut. It made it much longer, but it explained so much stuff that happened. It developed a lot of the characters and gave us a lot more situations that really helped flesh out the story and yep. get audience buy-in. Mm. Yeah, I know like along the lines of what you're talking about, I know there is a canonical now director's cut version of um of uh Blade Runner that that yeah. Blade Runner fans say, "No, this is the one." I know it's not the original theatrical cut, and in most cases are like, "Yeah, I would say watch a theatrical cut." I know I'm a big stickler for that with the Star Wars franchise, but in this case, the fans say, "Watch the more recent director's cut because that is the one to watch." Mm-hmm. So, what I hope is that in what we saw in the trailer, what we got our hopes up for, is what we would get if there was another hour and a half of this movie. Because at times, though it was like really visually beautiful, I mean, like I, I, I would agree that for the most part, I was I was taken into this world. I, I was like, wow, they've really brought this era to life. The whitewashing notwithstanding. The, the whitewashing notwithstanding. Um, th- that was impressive, but at the same time, it did feel like they just kind of moved from big event to big event to big event to big event, like kind of skipping over very important things Yes, in the middle of these events. Absolutely. And, and that just, that just really made it hard to follow. And if I didn't know the story then I felt like I would have been fairly lost at times, I was like, who was he? Why was he there? Who are they? Why are they yes. talking like they know each other? So, so that, um, that's like one of my primary complaints with this film is, or, or one of the big complaints of this film that I have. I don't know if it's primary or not, but it feels like we we zoom in, we get a piece of the story, and it's different from the biblical account in a lot of ways. And then we zoom out and we go to this other part of the story, and it's like, but if you didn't know the story, you'd be completely lost. And you have to assume it's like the biblical account, even though most of the parts that we get in the film stray from the biblical account so it's like how 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 are you how does this supposed to work i I don't know it was really frustrating that way Hmm. well Well, i think that tj if you're going to make your case you need to point to some specific details where it deviated from the course are you saying that you wanted something that was a bit more biblically accurate like a um a passage for passage adaptation to the screen you wanted them to use uh you know the king james bible language what did you want no, I don't have to have any of that stuff. Uh, I do have to have it staying true to uh, what I consider to be the core of the story, and in a lot of ways, I feel like it failed to do that. Um, there, Such as? Okay, so for instance, um, you have Moses going to the secret meeting. Uh, <clears throat> this is where the story really started to lose it for me. He goes to the secret meeting of Hebrews where they tell him his backstory because he didn't know who he was or where he came from before. And that's fine because the Bible doesn't really tell us how, what, what, if, what it was like for 40 years. Like he was 40 years old when he killed the Egyptian. But in the biblical account, he saw one of the uh, slave masters beating uh, beating a Hebrew and he killed the Egyptian. And then the, and then the Hebrews are like – he's trying to break up a fight between the Hebrews the next day and they're like, are you going to kill me too? And so he flees because the thing was known. That didn't happen in this film, and instead he goes to the secret meeting, and then he's walking along, and the the uh, one of the slave masters tries to nab him, and in self defense he kills the slave the 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 the, the um, one of the he- Egyptian guard guys that was the slave master or whatever, and and so uh, then but that just sort of that that's not the impetus for him going out right away. 
Um, and he doesn't then interact more with the Hebrews, and it, like it just completely strays from the biblical account. And now he's the advisor to Pharaoh, and the the, uh, the 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 viceroy comes up and says, "Hey, we got this report that he killed this guy, and that he's actually a Hebrew." And, and just the whole thing is just completely strayed from the biblical account. And, and I, I don't I don't want to say that you can't embellish or that you can't stray to some extent, but like it wasn't even the same story. Well, I think it was the same story, but I think it was told from a very different worldview. And that's what really um, gets under my skin as a believer. But at the same time, I definitely appreciated the artistry of this film. At the same time, I was, like Mike is, concerned about where it was lacking <clears throat> because it wasn't very imaginative. It seemed like it was a worn-out director trying to give us a film in the vein of the kingdom of heaven, but like he's kind of tired of doing this. This is what he does for breakfast. Like he's familiar with these kinds of Epic films so well that when they said, Hey, we we need one more for, from you. We need to make some more money. <laughs> All right. What do you want to do, man? Well, I don't know. Uh, nothing really interests me. Well, what if we did something that's like huge? Why don't we give you one of the most popular stories of human history? Well, what would that be? Well, the story about Moses and Pharaoh. Oh, okay, I, I might could get into sure. that. Sure, whatever. Sure. I'm free Thursday. And so what we got here is a um, what feels like an agnostic director who's just kind of tired of telling these movies, who's just trying to make some money. And so he's really good at his craft, but this movie lacks a lot of the heart and soul of the story. So if you wanted to say that Moses' backstory is that he was a general rather than just a prince of some kind. You can add to that. You can add that if you like. If you want to uh, re-represent, if you want to represent the plagues in a slightly different order and fashion, well, guess what? Ultimately, you're not changing or tempering truth itself, as far as I can tell. So you can do that, but you want to get creative with Moses, and you want to change the kind of man he was for no apparent decent reason that doesn't exactly add to the story a special sense of new value and place. And, you know, things like that just kind of make it all a wash to me. You know, um, as a casual observation, thinking along the lines that you have, TJ, if I wanted to be really strict about this, I would have to admit that just about the only thing that was consistent with the biblical account is most things that pertain to Ramses. Like pretty much everything about Ramses is consistent with the Bible. And what was funny is that most other things are changed significantly enough that they're not in the details biblically accurate. They resemble what's in the Bible right, one way or the right. other. Like, hey, guess what? They didn't change his name. His name is Moses. Oh, wow. And well, what is Moses like? Well, he's a middle-aged man. Oh, okay, wow. Well, Moses was a middle-aged man in the Bible too. <laughs> okay, well, we got that part right. No, <laughs> that that's not what it takes to be authentic to the character of Moses in the Bible. What's interesting too about this movie is that I think that something lost in a lot of the audience is that the story of Exodus in the Bible was written by Moses, inspired by God. And as we see it in the film, the relationship between Moses and God is very, 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 very different from the account in the Bible. And yes. that was probably the biggest deviation of all 
that troubles me. But at the same time, what can you expect from Ridley Scott? Yeah, this this is my primary. This is why I backed off of, my, of the other thing being my primary. This is my primary beef with this film, and and this is what you get. I mean, here I am. I'm trying to straddle the line here, right? Like I I have people on the podcast all the time who are unbelievers or who you know we we just talk about films, and that's great. This film is diving into my sacred text, if I can put it that way. This is um this is the Bible we're talking about, and in more specifically, we're dealing with aspects of God and His character. And this film, I think that Ridley Scott's contempt for God is on display here and the way he portrays God and the way he portrays Moses' interaction with God. Um, he portrays uh, – spoiler alert um, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you feel like this film can be spoiled. He portrays <laughs> God as a petulant 10-year-old boy. Uh, and that's how he perceives of God. I thought this was very uh, telling in the way that Ridley Scott perceives of God is that he's this petulant 10-year-old boy who talks about getting revenge for – for the the things that the um, the Egyptians have done to his people, and and yes, in a sense, vengeance is mine. Thus saith the Lord, I will repay. This is a Bible verse. This is uh, this is what God says about vengeance. It is mine, not yours. I will take care of vengeance. So in a way, yes, that's that's right. But it's not the vengeance of a petulant ten uh, year old boy that we see with no. God, and that's what troubles me. And and more than that, he he's he, so so he comes to Moses in the burning bush. Moses has been caught in this rock landslide, and his head is barely sticking up out of the mud. And he's hit his head, and and maybe <laughs> has he dreamed this whole thing up? We don't even know, right? And the boy says, "I need a general," and and that is not at all what God said to Moses. God said, "I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go." He never he, that that conversation never took place. And so then we come to the the plagues that are coming to the people of Egypt. And this is after Moses, the freedom fighter, has been fighting for the freedom, and God says, you're taking too long. I want my people to go now. Stand back and watch what I will do. And he then sends these plagues one after another after another, and we don't get the interaction between Moses and Pharaoh where God would send a plague, and then he would tell to Moses, now you go to Pharaoh, and you tell him, let my people go, but you know what? I'm going to harden his heart so that my glory may be made known. None of that takes place. This is all vengeance from God where God just strikes light lightning bolts down upon people and he sends the hail and he sends the lice and he sends the locusts and and he sends all these things and he does not ever have this interaction with pharaoh and between pharaoh and moses uh just like big swaths of the story are missing they're just missing because it doesn't fit with the narrative that ridley scott is trying to tell about my god that's the problem that i that is my primary (laughs) problem with this film is that enough of a rant for you guys (laughs) And uh, I'll see you guys next week. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. It was great having you. I feel like yeah. Fizz, you're gonna you're gonna have some things to say to me about that. No, no, no. Let's see. Okay, there's there's reasons that I I did not like this film a great deal, but I loved Noah, and I feel like one of the biggest things is the portrayal of God, because one of the things that's problematic about Exodus to me is not exactly what you're saying, but I think it's an offshoot of what you're trying to describe TJ. And that's anytime that you, you depict God. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you start writing dialogue for the creator of the universe, or at least what is portrayed as the creator of the universe, uh, based on this movie. Okay. That you have to get that right. Mm-hmm. And I would not personally take a lot of Liberty with it. I agree. Um, I agree. <laughs> so, so in Noah, you don't you don't have a very uh, 
intervening God to a, a great degree, depending on, like I said, how you see the film. You never have God coming down and saying, this is the thing that I'm saying, or, hey, by the way, let me interact with you in this really wacky way that <laughs> leaves, you know, that can obviously rub people the wrong way. You have uh, an ambiguity to God, which means that it's up for interpretation. Some people aren't going to like that ambiguity. Some people are going to be able to read into that ambiguity. But either way, you're not really putting something out there that's going to give people a visceral reaction. And this one, uh, Ridley Scott chooses to put a child as the face of God or the voice of God. Um, and to me, I didn't necessarily have a problem with God being depicted as a child. Um, it wouldn't have been my first choice. And I think that you would have to do it right. In this case, I think he chose a child and then made God out to be exactly what you're saying through his dialogue, through his actions, a, a petulant, impatient, um, vengeful, not even vengeful, like a revengeful, Right, uh, right. Vengeful and uh, revengeful are two different things, yeah. really, when you think about um, it. And just, like I said, impatient. Uh, As if uh, he didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah. He, if he was not the sovereign God. And so and so, what it does is it, it if, if Ridley Scott is not trying to say that the God of Israel is petty and, I don't know, primitive, <laughs> then I'm not exactly sure what he's trying to do. No, that's what he was trying to say. I'm so, fully. so because of that, I, I do have a problem with how God was portrayed in the movie, though I think it could have gone to a lot of great places. And another reason I'm going to keep coming back to this with almost every one of my dislikes about this movie. I hope that with another hour and a half, like we get to this place at the very end mm. where Moses and God are sitting down to write the 10 commandments. And I almost like that moment, but I wanted there to be enough interactions for them to get to that moment because I'm not exactly sure how they arrived at that understanding uh, and that bit of dialogue that they have in that scene. Well, it's almost like somebody told Ridley Scott, they're looking at the final cut of the film in the studio, you know, and he's showing it to the executives and they said, wait, we, we gotta, I mean, they, we gotta have the tablets of stone. And he's like, Oh, let's go re <laughs> Let's go shoot this tag and we'll just stick it on there. Well, and that's the thing, like, especially towards the end, once they got past the red sea, it was like, it, it was like a, the return of the King endings, right? It was, <laughs> right. you know, five minute shot, fade out, fade to black, five minute shot, fade to black, five minute shot. fade, And you're like, I'm not exactly sure where they're going to end. In return you of know? the King, it was justified because it was this big epic three movie thing. And it wasn't justified at all here. Mm. And like you said, it just, it just made things feel very disconnected. Yes. And I felt like there was probably, or again, I'm hoping that there is a lot of footage in between these scenes that we did not get in this. I mean, cause the movie, I mean, to be fair, like the movie was two and a half hours long, you know, it's not like it was a short movie that we got in no. the theater. No, but I would be willing if, if there is enough material there to make lots of these things make sense to pay off some of these arcs that they're trying to, uh, to put forth. If they, make some of these side characters that seem almost like an afterthought, like Joshua, you know, like Aaron Paul's character. If they make his character pay off a little more, I would be willing to sit through four hours of a Ridley Scott movie um, un under the, um, under the impression that it's the same thing that has happened before with his director's cut. Um, but as is, I'm not happy with his portrayal of God. I mean, I'm not infuriated by it. I mean, 
I don't think God's up in heaven being pissed because Ridley Scott <laughs> portrayed him as a child, you know, so I'm not going to get mad about it. I, but if someone asks, I'm going to be like, well, it's not exactly how I would describe God to anybody. Yeah. You know, I would take a little different approach to that. I think God yeah. is, God is, is known to be a jealous God and, and he's very particular about how you, uh, I mean, he, he we we were told in the Bible how to think about God, and this deviates from that. Um, and so that's that's my problem. I would take a little firmer stance on it than you. I, uh, not surprisingly, I'm sure. Joe, you you wanted to jump in with something. Well, to uh, add a comment to what Mike is saying, I think that the reason that you have this unique characterization of God is that it just goes back to the worldview of the director. He's whether he realizes it or not, I think it's not necessarily intentional. I don't know that it's devious. I don't know that he is trying to ruin the ride for believers and Jews and everybody else who cares about the story of Moses. But what he is doing is what any director does along with the screenwriters. They are trying to tell the story their way. They want to make their, their version. So it's what Zack Snyder is doing with Superman. It is what Christopher Nolan did with Batman. Mm-hmm. It, all these directors want to give the yarn their rendition. So this is his telling. This feels like a Kingdom of Heaven movie. You know, why is Moses, uh, why is the story that he has previously been a general? Well, that's just, that's just Ridley Scott's style, right? Like the, our favorite hero of Ridley Scott films was a guy who was a general that was betrayed and sold into slavery and eventually got out of that mess, you know, on his own through lots of hard work. <laughs> and so what you see is you kind of have a similar pattern here with Moses. He's a guy who at first is a prince, but that's kind of boring. So how do we make him more interesting with, well, let's say he is a general. That's interesting. But then through a series of unfortunate events, he has to, relinquish his power and place and state of Egypt to try and save his own uh, life, I guess. It was kind of unclear, though. This is what I wanted to get to. Something that you said a moment ago, Mike, is how it felt like a lot of this movie is kind of disjointed. I think that the movie is lacking a lot of cohesion because when certain things happen, mission-critical events throughout the film happen, dialogue was kind of weak, and how and why things were taking place was kind of lost on me a little bit. Like, they wanted it to be a little bit too subject to interpretation. Like, well, we want you to fill in the details for yourself, and so we're going to be kind of loose with the dialogue and characterization here, and you can interpret it how you feel. Not, I'm not just like saying, oh, they left God up to interpret interpretation. I'm seeing like even story beats, plot developments, like what was Ramses up to? What was Moses really up to? You know, um, uh, there's a lot of cryptic things in this movie. So plot threads were well-performed. I'm not saying that this film wasn't gorgeous. Ridley knows how to direct a film. But I feel like coming at it as the filmmaker he is, he put his best foot forward, which is not one that we wanted. To me, it feels like Ridley wasn't the right man for the job Mm -mm. because he didn't tell a a, a rendition of of the story that, was remotely characteristic of what makes Exodus so great. Uh, I know that this is going to sound laughable in comparison, but film is film. Okay. It doesn't matter what the genre is. 
the, the, my next example is going to sound childish, but film is film. And th- there's no difference here. I'm sure everybody listening to the podcast has heard, sorry, watched the original cartoon classic of Frosty the Snowman. Mm-hmm. What, what do y'all think of that cartoon, guys? Yeah. Yeah. So say what you want about it. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you think it's stupid. Maybe you think it was childish. Maybe you think it's dated. But a lot of people think it's a classic, and I'm one of those people. I really enjoyed it as a kid more than I enjoyed a heck of a lot of other cartoons. But, you know, whatever the case may be, I mean, like, it's not important. I'm not going to die on whether or not Frosty the Snowman was well told or told the way it ought to be told. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to me that for more than, you know, 20 years, 20, 30 years, all we had was one cartoon about Frosty the Snowman. And it was the one that was replayed year after year and sold again and again and again with VHS copies and DVD copies. Everybody saw the same Frosty the Snowman. But just in the last uh, 10 years or so, there's been a few new Frosty the Snowman cartoons, retellings and sequels made with other filmmakers and other cast members and other cartoon artists. And sometimes they try to play up the original cartoon and play off of it. Sometimes they just want to reimagine it. But in any case, they are so forgettable. They are so like, well, whatever. Here's an excuse for another movie. Here's an excuse for another cartoon. We're all cartoonists here and we got to do something for Christmas, guys. What are we going to do? Well, why don't we tell a story about snowman? Well, we can't just tell a story about snowman. That's already been done. We won't be taken seriously unless we actually make a retelling of Frosty, because if we make another snowman movie, then we look like we're just ripping off Frosty. So we might as well make a Frosty movie. You know, like whatever the heck, whatever their reasons, they make more Frosty movies, but none of them are as appealing as the original. I mean, as far as like Frosty fans are concerned. And you can see where I'm coming at this, like, this version of the telling kind of going back to what Mike said, like say what you will, you know, maybe this is blasphemous. It seems like to me in some ways it kind of is, but okay. If you're not a Christian or if you're not a Jew, you're not going to care if it's blasphemous. Oh, sure. So what are you left with? Well, you're left with, well, is the artistry, the storytelling, the film craft and the entertainment value there. And as far as that's concerned, on its own two feet, I don't think this film stands very well. It's just not got what it takes to be a brilliant epic. It's not a timeless classic. It's not going to stand the test of time as one of the better Ridley Scott films. Actually, so much so, I was thinking about this earlier when I was writing for my website. And I just did a little digging because when I saw this movie, I hadn't checked to see what the critics had to say or what general audiences thought. And then... I wrote some of my own personal notes and I made my own assessment and I kind of came to the conclusion when I would rate this film and how I felt about it. And then I checked to see what the audience and the critics had to say. Mm-hmm. And I compared it to uh, the other Ridley films. Um, so uh, there's two other films that this reminds me of. It, this film feels like it's re- relatable to uh, the Troy movie. Do y'all remember that one? It came out a few years ago starring Brad Pitt and Orlando Bloom. Mm-mm. It feels yeah, like Robin Tro- Hood to me. 
It was ridiculousness. It but it was Troy, right? So some of it was very legendary. Most of it wasn't very historical, but it was definitely interesting. And it had this scale. It was about ancient people in a distant foreign civilization, and they were all warring factions, and there were large multitudes of armies and crazy situations in, in the wild. So they had very similar moments and. That movie, which y'all never even heard of, got better ratings than this one, uh, Gods and Kings. And also The Kingdom of Heaven, which, you know, like Mike, Mike said, disappointed general audiences and theaters, then eventually got more credibility with the director's cut. Uh, Kingdom of Heaven is doing a lot better than Gods and Kings. A lot better. So, I mean, we'll talk about the exact rating in a, in a few minutes, but... I just have to make a note that I don't think TJ or Mike or I have an agenda that is tainting our perception of this film. I wanted to like it. We're just being honest here. And I think that I think we're being pretty fair to not lambast it. I've seen some, some critics now that just want to say like nothing in this movie, historically accurate. They completely ignored the source material. I don't think that that's the case. No, they didn't completely ignore the source material. Um, there's a lot of it there, just not enough of it. If anything, I feel like I would have been inclined to to like it. I mean, I went into it even with the reviews going, oh, you know, it's not, you know, you, you, on the one side, you've got the Christians going, it's terrible because it doesn't appear to the Bible. And you've got the critics going, it's terrible because it's just a bad film. And I'm going into it going, no, I want it to be good. I want it to be good. I want it to be good. And then if anything, I feel like I would have been inclined to say, you know what, it's it's a pretty good film. And I came out of it going, wow, that was a pretty terrible film. It just um, here, here, kind of like what you're saying, Joe. It it tries to uh, be its own thing, and so it winds up not making Christians happy uh, because it's straying from the Bible, and it's not a very good film. Like if you take away the biblical aspect of it, just like I felt with Noah, I feel just the same way about this film. If you take away the biblical aspect of it and just evaluate it as a film, what is there that makes this any, any good? And there is nothing. There is nothing here. There's nothing. Nothing? No, well, nothing is overstating my case um, because there are some Pull back the hyperbole, TJ. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I, I try mm-hmm. to pull back the hyperbole. There's not a lot here that makes me interested in this as a, as a, as a standalone film. As, as I said – Earlier, I like the visuals, especially in the first act of the film. I really, they really drew me in. I really love the depiction. And again, I, I mentioned the whitewashing, which bothered me. Uh, you, you know, this is we're not in the fifties anymore. Why are we still whitewashing a, a Moses film? But that aside, like it still drew me in as as, as a historical. Like I, I felt much more than I did with the Ten Commandments, uh, Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. I was in Egypt, so so yes, you're right, Fizz, and I, I shouldn't overstate my case. That was great about this film, but other than that, like story wise and the way the story flowed, or rather the way it didn't, I, I and and just I I just didn't find anything redeeming about this film in in those terms. Yeah, the production values there, the budget was there. The the professional detail, the sound engineering, the costumes, the editing, the visual effects artistry, unparalleled, just beautiful. Uh, it, it seemed like all the locations were real. Those towering statues in the inner city of Egypt and the pyramids, just well represented. It, it, I've, you know, I've heard from some archaeologists that 
Egypt was originally a very vibrantly colored city that a lot of their structures and what have you were elaborately painted and colorful. I don't know to what extent we we can validate that and historically accurately represent that on screen. And it seems like to make it familiar with what audiences expect of Egypt, you're not going to characterize it that way in a film because if you painted the city, people would think that that was unauthentic and perhaps unusual because expectations from audiences is that this film, the, the, the city of Egypt is going to look um, kind of, you know, like sandstone. I mean, everything's going to look like tanned block, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what we got in the movie. Yeah, but that being said, there were some beautifully sweeping shots, wide shots of the city. I remember this once moment in the gladiator when um, it was all too brief where the music is swelling and it, it, it pans through the clouds down to give you a beautiful view of all of the city of Rome. And it's, it's got this, this beautiful gravitas to it. And you, and you really like it. You want to like the city instantly. And it was all too brief though. And it was the only moment like that in the entire film. Whereas in this film, we get a lot of that. We get a lot of the grandeur of the locations, not just the cities, but also the wilderness. And then there is quite a variety of different kind of locations, characters, situations, good cutting, sequence changes. It felt like apart from the fact that it was lacking cohesion and a little bit choppy um, in terms of the storytelling, it felt like in film craft, uh, Ridley Scott hasn't lost anything. <laughs> he, he's uh, um, these, these are my likes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you wanted us to take in isolation any particular sequence of this film in isolation, and you wanted to present a preview of this on YouTube and show it to general audiences and say, so how did you feel about that, guys? I bet you that the general audience appeal would be like, wow, that really transported me to that event. Wow, was it actually like that? You know, um, that would probably be the reaction. Joe, do you do you have some feels about this movie? Do you, is it making you think things? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I do admit that whether the film is going to biblically portray the story or not isn't going to change how I feel about the Bible and its account. No, of course not. Yeah, like, I mean, like, you know, there are some Christians I've spoken with already that uh, they're very sensitive to movies that portray Christian subjects. And when I tell them, yeah, this movie's just not so hot, you're not going to like this film. You probably don't want to watch this film, knowing their taste. When I tell them things like, well, you know, God was, you know, portrayed as a little boy, kind of reminds you of a bratty version of Anakin Skywalker in the prequel. <laughs> they say, they say, oh man, and you know, like people are going to watch this movie and they're going to think that that's actually in the Bible. And then I, and I'm like, no, no. they're not going to think that. Not really, because you know, general audiences are smarter than that. Give them a little bit more street cred, y'all, because there have been multiple movies now about Exodus, and none of them are all the same. Not all of them can be accurate. We we know that. We're smarter than that. I like to believe that you know uh, a large chunk of the general audience is not going to be duped like that. So, I mean, enough people went to Sunday school, at least as a child, to know that God ain't no child. <laughs> I should hope so. Fizz, you've been trying to get a word in here. No, well, I would say that uh, on, in response to what Joe's saying, 
when it comes to the audience, I think if someone leaves the film, but this particular film and says, man, God is a petulant child. That is so right. It's because they believe that before they walked into the film. Oh, for, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, I, like th- th- this, it's one of the, one of the things that, like I said, again, I said in my review, it's, you know, while visually beautiful, if you're looking for something to really get a whole lot of theological conversation started, this movie doesn't really hit you with a lot of that depth. No. Um, we're not, we're not having a lot, like I said, we're not having a lot of the arguments or the, the, the deep theological discussions about the nature of God and the, the, the will of God, the power of God, the influence of God, like we did after we watched Noah, which is why it's I think, not inspiring it. Yeah. The, the, to me, the comparatively, this film is basically flying under the radar. You know, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't look at the internet when Noah came out. <laughs> without falling into a Noah discussion. This one is almost coming and I feel like in two weeks it's going to be gone. But yeah. there, there were some things that I did like about it from, from a, you know, engagement point of view. And I would echo a lot of what Joe has been saying about just the way it's transported, the way it's uh, been visually uh, technically done. Uh, I, I do think the acting on the whole, especially from uh, Bale and Edgerton, uh, besides the whitewashing, I, I think they played their roles with what they were given, or at least what we saw they were given very well. Oh, Edgerton and, was fantastic. It, it just makes me sad that the script and the directing wasn't better because uh, Joel Edgerton was fantastic. Christian Bale left a little to be desired, but he was pretty good too. Well, it seemed like he was playing a you know a couple different versions of Moses. Yes, yes. And and that goes back to again the thing the drum that I will beat where it, a, a disjointed script. Maybe there were times in there that led us to these different versions of Moses and and. Like I said, that's the only reason I give that a pass. I just assume that when he started acting different, Chris, you know, Christian Bale is such a, a like a method actor that I assume that someone said something to him and said, "This is why you've changed," and he, you know, he changed. And we just unfortunately didn't, as an audience, get to see that. But aside from the technical stuff, aside, you know, just the visual, the the movie making stuff, the things that I thought this film did that were commendable, that were. Uh, if you want to say, you know, as a Christian, I thought were intriguing were the fact that the plagues happened, yeah. you know, like the, they sort of explained how the plagues happened, but there was no denying in this film that a, a, a supernatural being had his hand in making them happen. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Bible never tells us what, you know, how God caused the plagues. It just said he spoke and they happened or, or whatever. He, he, he caused the plagues. Yeah. If they want to try to say, well, these alligators or whatever they were, hundreds and hundreds of them tore, you know, all, you started eating, you know, bloodying up all the people and the fish and that's what turned, whatever. I mean, it still seems a little crazy and it's definitely still supernatural. Like that doesn't bother me. God uses means. That's not a problem. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, there, but there is no doubt that God had his hand in it. It wasn't yes. just completely natural. I think that, especially considering the worldview that we feel that Scott was probably trying to push or bringing to the film, that he allowed that to still be, you know, a supernatural incident, I thought was commendable and interesting and you know, discussion worthy. And the other thing that I think that not a lot of people are talking about, and maybe it's because it falls under the 
the semi tint of God, the portrayal of God being something that most people don't agree with is the fact that whether you don't agree with how he presented himself, God's actions in this movie uh, with the violence and uh, the vengeance that he brings um, like I said, even though we would describe it as vengeance, where the movie kind of describes it as revengeance, um, it it makes people have to deal with that because much again, like Noah, you know, the flood was not a happy on the arky arky, you know, <laughs> story. Like the plagues are not happy. Like no. there is there is terrible stuff in these plagues, and especially with the you know the killing of the firstborn, like that's that's a serious thing, and I think this movie portrayed that as something that you know is again discussion worthy. Like where does that rank? How um, do you reconcile God? Obviously, Scott kind of reconciles that with uh, uh, a petty God, but. Um, I think it would open a door for us to continue that discussion and say, well, actually, you know, dot, dot, dot. And I love the fact that, again, he didn't shy away from this violence because God at times has a history of violence. But like I said, there are deeper means to that than the worldview that Scott is bringing and a lot more meaning to it, which he doesn't hit on in the film. But the fact that it's out there for discussion to me was a positive of this film. So, but unfortunately that's about where my positives end and I would, I would, I would go more to, towards my dislikes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I wanted to make sure we, you know, we got some of those things out the, the, Hey, we did give you the thumbs up because like Joe said before, we, I think we all wanted to like this film a lot. Um, mm, yeah. Or at least a lot more than we did. Yes. So, um, and there were some good things about it because I definitely have seen way worse films than this, this year so. Yeah, and I, I do want to say I want to make sure that I'm, I'm speaking of the things that I did like about this film. Um, Joel Edgerton's uh, um, grandstanding, "I am the God, I am the God." You, you know, th- this is very, um, this is this is the way man is, right? He wants to be God, um, and and of course it's magnified in in uh, in, in Ramses. Um, you know, um, one of the uh, hermeneutical principles that a, a, a teacher that I, I like to listen to uh, likes to use is if you're looking for who you what your role is in the story, if you're reading a Bible story and you're looking for your role, you're the bad guy. And and so you need to look and say, mm-hmm. is that what's in my heart is what what Rams? I, I know I'm getting super theological here on this on this popcorn movie podcast, but just bear with me. Is that is, as a Christian, you Christians listen up. Is that what's in your heart is what Ramses is putting forth here? I am God. It's an extreme version, but we all have this tendency. And and so I just wanted to make sure that I point out that like like that was a fantastic uh, portrayal of Ramses, I thought, and the hardening, like, even though they didn't really go there very well, he, you know, Ridley Scott did, did drive it home in, in at least that scene and a couple other scenes where his, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, you know, by God himself. And that, by God, it was not really brought out, but his, 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 it certainly showed his hard heart and that what it took to break that hard heart to let his people go, to, for, to let God's people go, was finally the death of all the firstborn in, in Egypt, which was, make no mistake, as you said, Fizz, that was a horrific thing. Put yourself in the Egyptians' shoes, and especially Egyptians who worship these false gods, and that's all they have in this life, and and they have their children whom they love. Who doesn't love their children? For you know, There are people, but they're few and far between. Most people would love their children in some way or another, and, the, and every firstborn male in Egypt died. 
This is a horrific thing. And, and I thought that that was a very particularly well done scene when these, um, you know, uh, I, I can't, it's been a long time since I've seen the 10 commandments. I don't remember exactly how it was done there, but where the shadow is kind of like sweeping over and the candles are all being snuffed out. And, and you, you, you know, he focused in with the sound design of the breathing of the children and it, it was very horrific. Um, I, uh, I thought that was well done. There, there are certainly commendable things in this film or things that are good that you can take away. Um, you know, another thing that I had a love hate relationship with was that this was probably the least interesting parting of the Red Sea that I've ever seen portrayed. Um, but it was probably also a lot more realistic because the Bible does say that God sent an east wind and it drove back the waters like overnight, like all night. And, and normally we see it's just like these two walls of water go up on either side. And that's probably not the way it was, the way the Bible portrays <laughs> it. At the same time, it's like it was, I don't know, it was just a little bit weird. And the Bible also says they, they went over on dry, dry ground, and we see that wasn't the case. The waters were barely receding, and they were tromping through the mud, and that was all kind of weird. But, but So I had a love-hate relationship with that. But, but there's a lot here. There is a lot here to chew on, um, ultimately, even though I hated this film. <laughs> wow. <laughs> At least you're not using uh, strong words. No, but, you know. like hate. Well, <laughs> I think uh, one, of the, one of the funny things for me was that um, even though we have Ramses doing well and talking about how he's a God, he he turns around and he's like a God that would kill children. You know, what kind of God is that? And I'm like, Oh, I know what you're about to say. I was like, you remember like 10 minutes earlier when like you said that, right? Like Mr. God. Yeah. Um, So you just little things like that. Uh, I mean, but I guess, that's part of the storytelling, you know, Ram- Ramsey's being uh, unaware of his own. Yeah. Yeah. Cause um, he, he threatened to kill all the, all the, the kids in, in he, in the heat of the Hebrews. And then he's, he's like, well, you would serve a God that would do that. He called himself a God. And then yeah. Moses drives the point home and he says to him, none of the Hebrew kids died. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is just driving that point home. So yes, that's another great aspect of this film for sure. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I, I I wanted to like actually uh, my wife said this. She said that she was pretty bored, but she was <laughs> just trying to make it to the Red Sea parting because she was like, "It's going to be awesome if I could just make it to the very end of the film. It will be awesome." Yeah, and, and it was <laughs> it was pretty anticlimactic. It was a little, wasn't it? And you know, I, I I'm a fan of giving like showing like natural ways for God to intervene sure. in the world, because I think that's what we see most of the time. Yeah. As he's, as I've said, he uses means. Exactly. And so, you know, the whole, like you said, the, the, the walls of the red sea, probably not exactly how it happened, but the, I was so disappointed by the red sea scene. I mean, for various reasons, one, because it wasn't quite as epic as I wanted it to be. And, and two, no. because it made me ask so many questions when I was kind of giving the benefit of the doubt to the film for some, like during so much of the film, like why was there a shot of a riderless horse getting crushed by a wave? Where did the horse come from? Why do we care about that horse? Why is this scene even in the, the movie right now? This doesn't make any sense. You remember that white stallion that the Hebrews painted with lettering and sent into Pharaoh's, you know, courts like, yeah, that, that, that's the horse. That's all oh, there. There's Charlie. 
You know, there he is. Yeah. Like, oh, why? Okay. Poor Charlie. He's yeah, dead. why? Who, who well, brought Charlie? <laughs> why is a great question to ask, guys. Because when I ask myself, why did Ridley Scott make this movie? Ultimately, the only conclusion I can come to is because he had a particular thing he wanted to say about the character of God. And that's ultimately one of the reasons I really dislike this film strongly is because Ridley Scott basically made this film so he could he could show how petulant and whiny and and good for nothing. I, I actually heard um, somebody say once uh, this is actually uh, in regards to the Noah film, but I listened to their review, their podcast review of this film also, and the same sentiment was there, even if they didn't say these exact words. But it's like if God is a real person, he has a lot to answer for, and that's why I like this portrayal of God is because he has a lot to answer for, and that this really shows that if there if there really is a God, he has so much to answer for. That, that That's what Ridley Scott, I think, is really kind of doing with his portrayal of God in this film. So when I ask the question, why did Ridley Scott make this movie, I come away with because he wanted to show God in a way that, that is not true and that does not bring glory to him. Um, and so that that's that's ultimately my problem. It's with definitely going to look this way for a lot of Christians. Yeah. And, and I hate to be that guy. I, like I said, I wanted to go in liking this film. I wanted to say, but but on the, at the same time, it's like, well, what did you expect from an un, uh, an agnostic, unbeliever, atheist, whatever Ridley Scott is? Um, what did you expect from him? I mean, we have. I've said this. I think I said this on the Noah podcast. We as Christians have. Uh, we, we've kind of let our own selves down. We, we're not taking up the mantle. We're not telling our own stories. And when we do, they're cheesy. They're stupid. We want to, we want to make sure we get the Romans road in there and we got to, we got to make sure somebody gets saved and comes up to the altar. And we're not telling our own stories. And so we're letting unbelievers do it. And, and it's not working out for us. Go surprise, surprise. <laughs> So. Well, you keep using this phrase like, what did we expect from you know him? What do we expect? As if it's a really terrible thing. And actually, I look forward to non-Christians making Christian films for a couple reasons. One of which being that I believe that they're not so tied to the culture that we immerse ourselves in. Sure. They, they allow themselves to really explore what the text is saying, not what they've been told the text says. Mm-hmm you know, like throughout their entire childhood. And I think that, you know, that's, that's a reason that Noah will rank as one of the, the, my, my favorite movies of the year, but this one is not because this one doesn't, like I said, it doesn't bring anything new. It doesn't really, it doesn't look like Ridley Scott examined the text and said, what is this story trying to tell? Let me really understand it. He's just like, oh yeah, people tell this story all the time. Here's a way that we can make it epic looking. Right. right. And that's that's really different than, um, than, like I said, than what I wanted. Because uh, like I said, I wanted to see what was in his imagination that wasn't, that wasn't tethered to like, you know, the Christian subculture. And I don't really feel like I even got that. Yeah, you're absolutely right, I, I think. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah what did you want me to say no, no, yeah i just like that you said it, i think in my opinion you're right that's what I, is that better is that yeah, does that come off better it's fine tj <laughs> i'm not i wasn't i wasn't trying to i wasn't I, it wasn't me hedging or anything that's just that's the words that came out of my mouth um so i unfortunately i feel like we're gonna we there's a few things that we haven't even barely scratched the surface of but i think we need to start bringing this <laughs> in for a landing i mean we, we didn't talk about uh the indication that possibly moses dreamed up his interaction with god i mean it's just weird i didn't understand what he was trying to say we did talk about but didn't really touch on some of the reasons why this is frustrating but the abridged nature of the film um like like the time jumps like all, moses is marrying zipporah and suddenly his boy's nine years old like what happened i mean where did the time go i mean 
you know, and, and, and like you say, hopefully those things are on the cutting room floor and will be included in a director's edition. Who knows? Um, the movie, you know, didn't understand what it wanted to be sometimes. Uh, there's just so many things that we could talk so much more about, but I think we need to bring this in for a landing. So, Joe, why don't you tell us your concluding thoughts and your star rating? Okay. Yeah, I give it two and a half stars because I think that the film is a disappointment to Scott's fans and the Bible's fans. Not enough of the source material was followed, and this film lacks the character and nuance of Ridley's better films. I would like to see um, – I, I still think that a pretty good adaptation of Exodus could be made. Uh, and we, we certainly haven't seen the end of Exodus movies. So let's just keep hoping. Look forward to the next one. Yeah. this. Well, I would say that it's not as blasphemous as it is boring. <laughs> um, but it is beautiful. At least mostly. So with that, I, if you can if you can kind of separate yourself from the fact that it's not completely accurate, if you want to put some pretty vivid visuals to some stories that you may have heard either one time or growing up uh, that I think uh, really bring a little piece of life to those stories... Um, while not actually in and of itself being a great story, then you could enjoy this film on some level. Um, I, I would recommend people check it out, especially if you're interested in uh, the material. Um, I, like, again, I wouldn't go for any kind of super theological lesson or discussion. <laughs> and I went back and forth on this for quite a while. And, I was going to give it two and a half stars, but just because at times I was really immersed in the world and I do think there are a lot of positive things technically about the film. I ended up with a, a three out of five, but it's a really, really soft three out of five. Like maybe so, 2.75. Yeah. Like I said, this is another one of those things. So I do this every time I'm on, you know, it's like the, the star rating that TJ won't let me have. You know, the the breaking it down even more past the half stars, which I think is completely fair from TJ. But like, you know, I'm somewhere between two and a half and three. And based on some of the movies that I've given two and a half stars to this year, I would say there are things in this one that are technically better than those films. And it pushes it right above it. So, yeah, like I said, two and a half, three stars. I, I, I land on three. But I mean, eh, it, dep- it depends on the day of the week. Yeah, there you go. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be nearly as favorable as you guys. Uh, there were some strong visuals. Uh, certainly towards the beginning of the film, I was pulled into the world. I really enjoyed, even even though it I, it really didn't bother me that, that Moses was a general and not a prince or whatever. It's fine. It, 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 those things were fine. Um, the, the film really didn't start losing me until the second act. And then it just, it just started, it just felt like every scene was a, an exercise in how to make it worse. <laughs> um, and, but but visually it's stunning, great cinematography, some great choreographed uh, you know battle shots and stuff in the beginning when showing Moses being a general with Ramses. Uh, these things are great. Um, I enjoyed even some of the interaction between Moses and Zipporah. Um, I thought that was good too. Um, so there's some things there to like uh, that 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 give me a little bit of a star rating to work with. But ultimately, um, I felt like the Ridley Scott really just the way he wanted to portray God and what he brought to that uh, 
was was not good and in fact um qu- quite blasphemous i i um I don't know that I would say that blasphemy uh, that the boring was over the blasphemy as as you might have put it um fizz, but they're close. It was a boring film in a lot of ways um there was you know one of the things that makes the Moses story. Uh, interesting to me is the interaction between Moses and Pharaoh. And we didn't get very much of that at all. Like this is supposed to be like they set it up in the beginning. That this is going to be this great clash of these two princes of Egypt and the Pharaoh and the prince of Egypt. And, and, and that just never happened. Like, like, and then I'll, you know, God just sends his plagues one after the other. And, and then Moses goes and warns him about, you know, God's going to kill your firstborn and, you know, better protect him and blah, blah, blah. And like the, but the, the real clash never really came between these two. And and it just never happened. So ultimately, I just really didn't like this film very much, and I only give it one and a half out of five stars, and I do not recommend it. I I would not even recommend it on home video. I, I don't think <laughs> unless you just you feel like you need to be educated in what Ridley Scott made, and and that's valid. That's why I went to see it in the theater, you know. And and I was hoping that we would get the film that we were advertised in the trailer. Although I had started to falter from my hopes of that by the time I got to the theater, but yeah, not a good film. I didn't like it. Surprise, well, surprise. Like, like I said, I'm still I'm still holding out hope that, you know, a year and a half from now, there's going to be a, a director's cut that'll be like three and a half hours and it, it'll it'll make it it'll make it a better film. It won't it won't it won't fix everything because there are some things that can't be fixed yeah. by by extra footage. But I'm hoping that it, it fixes it a little better. All I can say is, is so let it be written. So <laughs> let it be done. <laughs> With that, uh, oh, IMDb uh, user rating is 6.4 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes critics are at 27%. Audiences at 40%. Not a very well-received film. Mm-mm. Next week, we're going to be reviewing The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies. We haven't decided who will be on that podcast yet. Uh, I was thinking about asking Clark, uh, and then, Joe, you were thinking about asking Michael, and we do have a limit with our guests right now because of my technical limitations, so we'll figure that out. We'll be looking forward to that or not as you choose next week. Um, the Hobbit, the Battle of Five Armies. Uh, I guess I'll go to the theater and see this over long, overtired franchise. Uh, Spo- spoiler alert: TJ is going to give it two out of five stars. Mm, I expect I'll give it more around the three rating, like I have before with the other films. Uh, I think I might have given the second one four out of five. Maybe I don't remember. I thought you what? Eh, maybe it was three and a half. I think okay. I think the first one was three, and the second one was three and a half. Because I did like the second one better. I don't. You remember. know, if, if you updated Letterbox more often, we could probably just go I check know, there. I know. I know. Okay. So in the meantime, <laughs> between now and then, if people want to continue the conversation, they should do that by following us on Twitter. Fizz, where can they do that at for you? Oh snap! I'm totally not stalling right now because I'm looking up up on Letterbox because that would be totally weird. Oh, <laughs> but if you wanted to follow me, uh, you could follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, I don't even know where. I, just look me up on Letterboxd. But you can follow me at, on Twitter at Fizzification, or you can follow my podcast, Real World Theology, on Twitter at Real World Theo. Um, if you'd like to know more about me or Real World Theology, uh, then feel free to visit RealWorldTheology.com. That's R-E-E-L WorldTheology.com. Yeah, and you guys talk a lot more theology on that podcast than we ever do here on the Movie Bite podcast. This is unusual for the Movie Bite podcast, actually. Um, and we will be doing that. Uh, I think we're recording that Thursday, which means it'll be out. Uh, what day is today? It'll be out at the end of the month. So, yeah, no, it'll be out on the twentieth. 
it's a good podcast, guys. You yep. should give it a listen if if you're even if you're not a Christian, you might enjoy hearing some uh, some good discussion about the theological implications and and the worldview implications and and how the film is affecting the culture. So uh, that it's a good podcast. I recommend it, and you do good work over there, Fizz. So that's Thank why you, that's why much, I keep sir. having you back. And Joe, uh, if people want to continue the conversation with you, where can they do that at? Right. Okay. Catch me on Twitter. I'm underscore Joe Darnell. And my personal site is intentionalsensibility.com. I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. And if you interact with me there, I will certainly interact with you as well. Uh, and if you want to follow me, that would be awesome. Uh, you can also, you can also, there are more ways to interact with this podcast. So many ways. So many ways. If you want to go to this episode's page, it is at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 118. And there is a comment form there. There's show notes and the links and the things that we talked about. They'll all be inserted there. You can listen to the episode right there. You can share it. You can do all sorts of things with it. You can get the embed code, all sorts of things for this episode. So make sure that you go there if you would like to leave us a comment. That would be wonderful. In addition, I haven't asked for this in a while. If you would like to go rate this podcast in iTunes, that would also be very helpful. Uh, the higher rated the podcast, the more discoverable it is when people search for different various things that are related to this podcast. So please go do that. So next week, The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies. For now, we're out of here. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.